Hey, how's it going? It's your man, Christopher the Rupal. And if you're hearing this, you're probably like, oh, wait, why is there a weird intro here? Well, uh, before Drunken Book Club became what it is now, where we get drunk, talk about kids' books, and other such things, the original Drunken Book Club was this style and format, where I used to read, like, almost, like, five books, like, three to five books in a month. And I wanted to talk about them, but I was very... What's the word? Uh, shy? Didn't think I was like smart enough to actually talk about these books without getting drunk first and having a jovial time about it. So this is where the this incarnation of Drunken Book Club is. There's about a couple handfuls of the handful uh, of these episodes. I think they're fun. I did not want to get rid of them when we became Drunken Book Club. Uh, originally speaking of which, um, so here it is enjoy and these are the new socials dbc underscore pod for the twitter account and our new patreon is patreon.com slash drunken book club think about supporting us it it may uh improve further stuff yada 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 okay uh bye It's Drunken Fucking Book Club. Why did I, why did I say that? Oh man, I'm drunk. Hello and welcome to Drunken Book Club. I'm your host, Christopher the Rupal. And today's uh, book is Tales to Give You More Goosebumps. More Tales to Give You Goosebumps. Wow. Like I said, I'm drunk. I've never noticed before, but they're literal goosebumps bumps on the goosebumps like label thing like I, I always thought it was just a you know a lifted up thing but i guess i'm just fucking stupid and never realized that before so my bad so more tales to give you goosebumps uh, you may remember back in like october i did a drunken book club on tales to give you goosebumps this one like i said before i'm going to be focusing on only one book and going kind of more in depth and actually telling you more about what's happening in the book talking about the story and stuff and with more tales to give you goosebumps i'm this like i said before it has 10 stories spooky stories it's 10 spooky stories that's what it is right there it says it right on the on the cover 10 spectacular stories and i i have pre-gamed on a on what i call a black russian because white russian usually just uses vodka i use chocolate vodka this time around and it's it's pretty good Pretty. I pre-gamed pretty early. I was about to say, I have no idea what time it is right now. Time is a fucking illusion today. I literally thought it was like 2 o'clock about 5 hours ago. And it is not even 2 o'clock yet. I'm going to say that up front. So, fun times for Chris, eh? <laughs> uh, so, a little background. A little more background on the Tales to Give You Goosebumps. Or at least um, at least to talk a little bit about the, the, the covers and stuff. I don't know. Uh, or uh, honestly, what I'm gonna even be doing with this this book, you know? Like I said, I'm only I'm gonna be reviewing only five of the stories. This is gonna be a two-parter, so this is part one. Take it as you go. Uh, I'll be reviewing the stories entitled "The Werewolf's First Night." P.S. Don't write back something fishy. You gotta believe me. And suckers. 
I can't say suckers unless it's SUCKERS from fucking Mortal Kombat Annihilation. SUCKERS! It's so stupid, but I love that one. Uh, but yes, I'll be reviewing the first five stories. I'm going to be giving kind of a first impression. I, I, I took notes like I normally do. Unfortunately, not for the first book, but I can still give you my first impression because I remember it as crystal as fucking day about what I feel about it. Um... So without further ado, let's let's take a look at this cover. I'm I'm looking at this fucking cover and it's pretty fucking iconic. You got Curly, the sexy skeleton with his arms raised up to the sky, wearing a a, a bandana around his neck for some reason, and he's got like Billy Idol haircut. Like he he looks kind of like Billy Idol for some reason. <laughs> I never realized this until now, but Curly the skeleton kind of looks like Billy Idol. <laughs> Is he gonna be screaming Monet, Monet, da? Monet, Monet. <laughs> oh, fucking! I'm a real star, and I, 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 I really, I told Jim Jacobus I needed him to look like. Like a, like a famous musician, and I, I listed off a few names, you know, Cindy Lauper was big, and then I said Billy Idol, Ozzy Osbourne, and he really strung on to, to Billy Idol for some reason. Maybe it's because that new album he was making that was about fucking cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, fucking... It's a nice day for a... Wow, you know what's my favorite thing about that song? I, I think I've said it on the podcast before, but the, the guitar bit, the ding, 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 is literally, it's wedding bells. I never realized till I listened to the extended version of that song that that's what it was. It's, it's very clearly wedding bells, and it, it amazes me to this day. Like, that, that's a really cool little thing that they put in there. Like, I, I gotta give my props. But no, no, I need to get back to this cover. So he's, he's, he's around a campfire on, like, the edge of a cliff in front of the full moon. Oh, it's a beautiful cover. And, like, there's five other sexy skeletons just... Wait, and they're all naked for some reason. Like, two of them are wearing hats. Another one's wearing a bandana and has, like, long hair. Kind of looks like a fucking, like, Vietnam vet from, like, 1982. And, like, one has pigtails for some reason. And one's kind of, like, doing the, the, um... There's no other way of saying it, but the breakfast club, like, laying down in front of the fire. And it looks like he's, like, smoking a doobie, but he's not smoking anything. Because, you know, it's a kid's book. He can't be smoking a doobie. He, he just can't be doing that. He, he can't... I mean, it, it makes sense for telling spooky stories around a campfire. You you smoke up whatever the fuck you want. Wow, well done. <laughs> uh, but no, I need to get back onto this, this stupid fucking book. So, and also, I'm going to say this up front... If you get angry about me spoiling these stories from 1995, go fuck yourself. So, here are the first five stories. So, story number one, The Werewolf's First Night. So, my first impression of this story is I'm thinking it's a boy who's freaking out that he got, like, bit by a werewolf one night. And then it's, like, later on he's, he's like, feeling weird and shit. That's what I'm assuming, you know. That's what the sound, that's what it, like, seems like it's gonna be. But, unfortunately, but unfortunately, but unfortunately that's not what happens. That's staying in, Chris. Don't you fucking cut that. Cut this part so saying that. The story, like almost all these stories, stars a 12-year-old boy. This one's name is Brian. 
and he's going to a summer resort with his parents called Thunder Lake. Uh, but Brian is scared because he has to be part of the teen group now because he's too old for the kitty group. And he's heard they're all werewolves. What the fuck? Where did he fucking hear this shit? <laughs> and his parents tell him to shut the fuck up. He doesn't know werewolves. You stupid kids, shut the fuck up. We're gonna go party and play tennis and get and drink margaritas. And I don't know what people do on resorts. I've never been to a resort before. What do you do? I'm curious. We know if, if there's no COVID by next year, I'm going to a summer resort for my birthday. Don't don't change your mind on this, Chris. That's that's a bucket list. It's not bucket list, so don't say it's a bucket list. Uh but you know, you know, he's happy though. There's another kid there named Kevin who's at the same age as him that he's able to become friends with. But unfortunately, there's three 15-year-old bullies named Jake, Phil, and Don. And you know what? When I was 15, I was not picking on 12-year-olds. No, that's a goddamn line. You know it, Chris. You were working at that summer day camp. And I think the oldest kids there were 12. You know, I wasn't picking on them, though. I mean, I don't know. Did I pick on I was I was a piece of shit during that time. Yeah, I probably picked on somebody. I'm sorry. If any of them are listening now, I doubt they are because they probably have full lives now. Sorry. That's a piece of shit. I hope I didn't affect your youth or your psyche. If I did, my bad. You can come up to me and you can punch me in the face. It's okay. I, I will accept it. So these three teenage... Teenage boys. <laughs> uh, but soon he discovers Don has fangs like a werewolf. When he smiles and Phil leaves wolf tracks behind him. And even Kevin, the friend he made... He discovered him eating raw hamburger meat. You know what happens soon. You know, the full moon is coming up soon. And on that night is a big Under the Stars campout for the teens. But Brian is scared to go. And he, he's trying to back, back out of it. He's trying to fake being sick. He even tells his mom, Oh, my, my tonsils hurt. Mom, my, my tonsils hurt. And she's like, Yo, little douchebag. You had your tonsils removed two years ago. What the fuck you talking about? Why am I talking like a Brooklyner? I don't fucking know. Maybe you all Stein can explain. I don't fucking know. Go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so he's forced to go. And when the moon appears, everyone starts transforming. They start growing hair out of every out of their faces and out of their hands. Their claws start to grow. And then and they start to howl at the moon. But soon they start cracking up and be like, Ha 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 ha. Fool you. And it is all a prank. We fooled you. We fooled you. Ha, 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 ha. We always fool the new, the, the, the youngest kid here. We always fool them. <laughs> Kevin was even on with it because he, he was the first one here and you're the last young kid. Sorry, douchebag. And Brian's like, <laughs> good joke. And then he starts twitching. He starts. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, and starts growing hair out of his arms and legs and starts bulging and growing and his face extends gruesomely like a werewolf in London. One of my favorite fucking werewolf movies. That No, no, I take that back. That is my favorite werewolf movie. Is a werewolf in, in American Werewolf in London. Good fucking movie. If you've never seen it, go watch it. It's amazing. One of my favorites. I have the, I have the steel box of that one. That's how much I love that movie. Uh, but I digress. And he starts transforming into a werewolf. And uh, you know what? It turns out he's pretty fucking hungry. You know, they should have given him a burger beforehand. And he starts to go and chase after them. The end. 
So, I really don't like this story. Like, it, it kind of confuses me in that sense that it's like, why is he afraid of werewolves when he is a werewolf? Is this like his first night becoming a werewolf ever? Like, is this his first full moon since he's became 12 or what? what what's going on here? It's, it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you ask me, you know? I, it, the mind is confused and doesn't like it. <laughs> that's, that's my nice way of putting it. I don't care for this one. I think it's, it's kind of a load of crap. I think that if they're going to, I, I think Will Ferrell, wow, I don't know what I'm talking about. I think that Arl Stein kind of goofed it on this one, and this is just not a good story. I don't like this one, in all honesty. I think the twist ending is stupid. I mean, I'm glad it didn't end with them being like, ha ha, welcome to the club, buddy. And then that, you know, I'm glad for that. But at the same time, it's just not a good one in general. A bad starter. I'm going to say that up front. I mean, you know what? They're holding their load on this one. And they're, they're holding it for, like, better stories coming up. But they should have, they should not have held their load on this one so much. This, this was bad. This was really bad. I give this story two Red Bulls t-shirts out of five. It's bad. I don't like this one. You can skip it. You can definitely skip it. It's it's the weakest of the of the first five I've read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I think it is. I, I I think it's my least favorite of the first five. So story two. P.S. Don't write back. My first impressions of this one was I thought this was about you no know, kid at camp because you know what? Usually P.S. comes at the end of a letter. Who gets letters during summer? Kids at summer camp. Duh. And I'm guessing he he's probably like, oh, my parents are being douchebags because I'm a little douchebag myself. Oh, well, now I got it. Now I'm dead. I'm dead, man. I'm dead. Why am I dead? I'm, I'm just dead. I'm sorry. I'm fucking dead. But no, no, no. The next one is, is P.S. Don't write back. So this one, yet again, stars a 12-year-old boy named Dave. And he's having a great time at Camp Timber Lake Hills. There's only one big problem, though. It's been over a week and he hasn't gotten a single letter from his family. He mentions the last time he went to camp, uh, they had, he had gotten like four letters and a box of pretzels on the second fucking day. So he worries that something may have happened to them. He even begs Sam, the camp counselor, to, to check with Mildred that she hasn't made a mistake. But Sam informs her that Mildred's never made a mistake the fucking million years she's worked there because the fucking floppy-ass-titted bitch never makes a mistake, you know. Why am I speaking so mean to Mildred? You'll, you'll find out soon. Eventually, a letter does come up for David Stevenson. Mildred said it was on the bottom of a drawer for some reason. So bitch-ass Mildred lost a fucking letter, even though she said she never lost no goddamn letter. Go fuck yourself, bitch. Mm-hmm. But you know what? The letter, th- this letter, it goes a little something like this. I'm actually pulling up the book for this one because you know what? I have to, I have to read it how it's read. I didn't want to type it up because it, it's just better this way. Dear David... We're not coming up for visiting day. Your sister misses you. See you in August, mom and dad. P.S. Don't write back. This, this, this freaks him out because he knows his parents will always miss him. They love him to death. And it doesn't make any sense either. His sister was excited to see him leave. And he, oh my god, I just ripped my book cover a little bit more. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's an old shitty one I got off of eBay. It's not, not, a, it's not an original copy. It's okay. But, you know, he's, he's like, but but my sister was, like, dancing when I left. What the fuck's going on here, man? And he's just, he's not taking it well. I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry, David. But it only gets worse from here. Because the next day, he receives yet another letter. 
Oh man, I feel bad about ripping my cover like that. Oh my god, I got like the pages ripped out. Shit. Dear David, we're sending you to live with your great uncle John. He's coming to pick you up on the 27th. We think it's for the best. Mom and dad. P.S. Don't write back. That, that, I'm sorry dude. I mean, it must really suck because great uncle John is like 87 years old and lives in a retirement home. And I legit don't know how you're going to be able to like live there with him and even he's going to even be able to pick you up because most retirement homes don't let old people leave i mean that's kind of a thing you know right so i'm sorry buddy but david david doesn't take this well he starts to freak out he begins to cry and just, he just doesn't understand why his parents would do this they love him and soon he looks back on the envelope and discovers that the address is wrong it's for camp timber lane hills not lake that's the camp across the lake he's told so he decides while everyone else is doing a scavenger hunt, he'll sneak away and go across the lake to see th this other David and see if he has his letter from his parents. So David jacks a boat and rows his way over to the rotted dock. But something is fishy here. And it's not just the next story. Something fishy. Uh, there's no path, just weeds and tall grass. And the sign that reads the camp's name is worn down. And the bunks have no lights on, which makes no sense to David because, like, those kids are just, they, they are furiously masturbating with those lights on all the time. Like at his camp, and he, he's a little sick and tired of it, because he has not started masturbating yet. It's cool, David, I understand. But he goes up to the cabin, and a boy with sunken in eyes and bony limbs points him to David Stevenson inside the cabin next to him. He enters the cabin, and finds nothing, but then hears shuffling, and asks, Who's, th who's there? A raspy voice replies back, and wants to know why he's there. And David asks if he's... If he's David, and David says he is, and he tells him to leave now. But David wants to give him his letters from home, and wants his letters from home, but David demands that he leaves. David darts out the door, not knowing what to do, and notices a familiar smell. A campfire has been set up, and hundreds of campers are linked arm in arm with one another, chanting, almost hypnotized by the flame that they're encirculating. Then the bony kid grabs David, and pulls him towards the fire with evil intent. But David escapes and rows back to camp. He sees Sam and runs towards him and tells him what he saw. But Sam just tells David that they're they're the only camp on this lake and Camp Timberlane Hills burned down 30 years ago. David doesn't believe him though. And goes to bed with his flashlight and pulls out the envelope and then notices the postmark. It was dated July 10th, 1964. You know what, I actually really like this one, like, without a doubt, this this actually has really good tension throughout of just like, I don't know if anyone else has had that fear of like, not being loved by their parents or not being missed by their parents, you know, but I've had, I had that fear when I was younger, so I, I totally get David on this one, I, I, I fucking know how it feels, buddy, and like, you know what, fuck Mildred, you had one fucking job, and did, why didn't you look at the post date, why didn't you look at the post date before giving this kid this fucking letter. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, and also I forgot to mention in the story that his parents actually called and said that they had an emergency and weren't able to give him, send him any letters. Emergency is unlisted. It's because his dad's a fucking asshole. <laughs> Secret asshole dad. Woo. But yeah, you know what? I like this one a lot. I, I think the supernatural ending's good, but it's a little bit weird. With the whole, like, they, they never led up to that camp being that way or anything. And I guess the twist ending does make it kind of nice and all. But I don't know. I think there's some weak points in this one, but there's some good points in this one. 
And you know what? I'm going to give this one four new Ratman comics out of five. Oh, I'm not going to explain that one to you guys. <laughs> so yeah, you know, that was not my favorite one from this story. From the, from the first five. I'll say that up front, but it's probably my second favorite one. So, story three is something fishy. When I hear this one, I'm thinking, oh... Are they going to go fishing and something weird happens? You know, kind of maybe something like uh, go eat worms. You know, like a kid's obsessed with fish instead of worms and the fish end up rising up again against him and try to kill him. I don't know. I don't think it's that at all. <laughs> one can imagine. So, Eric is one pissed off kid. He has to stay all summer inside this hot, boring apartment. All because they can't afford to go to the, stupid, go to the lake and rent a house. It's all because of the stupid divorce between his parents. Also, this may be like the first time that a divorce has happened inside a uh, R.L. Stein themed book. Just saying. It's interesting. You know, instead of just saying, oh, my parents are poor, they, they're divorced instead. It's an interesting idea. Let's, let's continue. Stupid the fourth. And to make things even worse, his sister exists. That little fucking bitch. At least his fish can hit this. At least his fish can go swimming in the nice cool water. Aren't they lucky? Soon it's allowance day and Eric spends it on a new castle for his fish tank. Then the next week he spends it on a purple rowboat. And then the week after that, a little scuba diver with a sharp spear. Snore if you ask me. Then one night, the heat was so unbearable. The sweat from his shorts were sticking to the back of his legs. And he got up and started watching his gourami swimming around. And then his platy disappearing underneath the boat and bubbles from the filter hypnotically entrance young Eric. Soon he begin he takes his index finger and plunges it into the water, making little circles, figure eights all around. But soon the clock in the hallway strikes ten. But the clock in the hallway strikes ten. And suddenly he's in the water and he's smaller than the smallest goldfish inside his tank. He soon is swimming about and having a blast and splashes one of the goldfish. But that fish is like, bitch, did you just splash me? You fucking splash me, bitch? I'm a fucking goldfish. I ain't one of those tasty ones either. I'm one of the nasty ass ones, bitch. Goldfish. And soon. That, that fucking goldfish just starts chasing poor Eric. And Eric, is, he just swims as fast as he can and goes to the little boat. And is in, he's just safe in there. He's just like, whew, man. Fuck that shit. You know, he's, he's able to stay safe, you know. And the goldfish just encircles the boat like some cross-eyed, idiotic jaws. And soon, morning finally arrives. And Sarah comes into his room. And Eric calls out to her to save him. Save me. Save me. But his tiny voice can't be heard. She can't hear his little ant-sized voice. Then the goldfish capsizes the boat, and he hears a sucking noise as the goldfish is coming up to suck his dick. I mean, suck him into his belly. <laughs> he ref he says that the goldfish is sucking in this book way too often, and or in this story a little too often. It's kind of gross. I've I've only owned one goldfish, and they're pretty. I can I can believe them sucking the air, being like. <laughs> So nasty sounding. <laughs> but he gets the idea. <laughs> he gets an idea. He's like, oh shit, I gotta get that spear that my little school man's got. And he rushes down and he swims as fast as he can. And he gets it and he defends himself against the goldfish. And the goldfish runs away. But soon it charges right at him. And he slices the underbelly of the goldfish and, and fucking kills it. 
but he's a little distraught. You know, he's a little he's a little sad that he had to kill one of his own fish. Yeah, that that'd be really sad. I understand that. (sighs) Poor little fishy. He's dead as a doornail. But suddenly, Sarah and his mom enter the room. They come looking for him and find the dead goldfish. And mom decides to scoop it up. And Eric realizes this is a chance to escape. So he gets inside the net as mom scoops up the dead idiot idiot fish. So he gets inside the net as soon as mom scoops up the dead idiot fish. But before he can call out to her, he is smashed underneath the smelly dead fish. He's being taken to the toilet to get flushed along with it. He tries to stick to the net so he doesn't plummet into the turlet. But is unsuccessful and plunges to his doom. As he plunges, he begins to dry off. And suddenly, before he feels the cool toilet water, he's back to normal and on his feet. He must have gotten back. He must have gotten back to normal because he got dried off. Huh. Ain't that crazy? So he promises not to do that again until two days later, when the temperature is at 102 fucking degrees and he needs to cool off. And I fucking I, I understand, buddy. It's like a hundred something right now in Tucson, and I fully get you. But I'm not gonna go swimming when there's fucking COVID around idiots swimming and shit fuck them man before you go swimming though he builds a nice little wall between it, it, right down the middle of the tank separating himself from the fish and just leaving a nice you know empty area so he can still swim safely and then even climb on top of the wall to dry off slowly you know kind of like a sunbather on a on a beach but not even 10 minutes into his private swim his mother and sister enter the room mom has a surprise for eric and is excited that Eric and is excited to see that Eric built a little wall that will be perfect since she just bought him two Siamese fighting fish. The meanest fish around. Just look at their teeth. You know, I I, I kinda like the concept of this one. It's kind of like a fantasy sci-fi concept of him shrinking down. I like I've always been like a fan of like incredible shrinking things, you know, Fantastic Journey, the Incredible Shrinking Man, that kind of thing. Of like a guy shrinking down and then having to fight for his life. I get mundane. Oh well, I know is there now giant to him. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a fan of that story. Um, I'll say that this this one does an okay job with it. There's nothing that crazy about it. it I'm I'm actually very overjoyed that they he didn't give a dumb explanation of like, oh, because there's a magic clock in there or anything like that. I'm just happy that it's just like, it's just a random occurrence. It's like, okay, his fishbowl's magic, whatever. Who the fucking cares? It's a fun short story. Though I'm not a big fan of the ending though. As, as you guys probably know, I have a beta fish named Fulgore, who's who's actually looking at me right now. Hi, Fulgore. Hi, buddy. He loves me. I don't care what anybody says. He makes a bubble nest when he sees me. That means he fucking loves me. Because I'm a sexy ass motherfucker and my fish is gay. And I'm gay for my fish right back. I like fish sticks. <laughs> but no, I don't like that the idea of her putting two Siamese fish in the same tank with each other. And then even thinking, oh, I should put them with the other. I mean, she, she is happy to see that they can have the wall to themselves. But you don't put two Siamese fish together. Male or female, or male and male, or anything like that. I mean, you can put two females together, that's a-okay, because they don't fight. But the males are extremely aggressive and will kill each other. And then, like, a male and a female will make a bunch of eggs and they'll end up eating them. And <laughs> Fish are fucked up, man. <laughs> fish are really fucked up. But no, no, this, it just irks me. It just, it just, I like the twist ending, but it just irks me a little bit. And it, it'd probably be higher better reviewed by me if it didn't have the Siamese fish kind of thing maybe if she just bought one I'd be like okay that's a cool idea but she had to get two in there and just like it, it just ruined it for me 
I don't, I don't like that. I have to give this one three cross-eyed idiot jaws out of five. If it wasn't for the for that last bit there, it just bugs me, you know. Also, um, the fish that he references in this one really shouldn't be living together. He does actually have a fish from the beta family in there, and that fish probably would be fighting with the goldfish or probably have tried to killed it. But that's just me. That's just me. That's just Chris. I like fish, but I would never want anything more than a beta. In all honesty, betas are easy. I don't care what anyone says. They're the easiest fish to take care of. They're the best fish if you're a depressed asshole. Because you can just sit right next to their bowl and be like, I'm sad. And then they'll be like, fuck you. And leave you alone. And they won't be like a cat and shit outside the fucking litter box. Just saying. And you don't have to clean their bowl all too often. You just gotta do it maybe once every, once or twice a month. You know, that's all you have to do. Just once you start seeing algae, you clean the shit out of that bowl. Man, fucking sucks. Must suck having regular fish. There, I said it. So, story number four. You gotta believe me. I can't say it any other way. It's it's like it's it's like it's meant to be said by uh, Jimmy Stewart. You know, him being like, "You gotta believe me. You gotta believe me, man. I'm I'm just I'm fucking I'm a fucking loser. <laughs> you gotta believe me." But no, no, no. This is. This one's a bit of a sci-fi story, so a little a little different from uh, Arlstein's usual affair of horror, but it's got some like horror sci-fi elements to it, so let's get right into it. Stanley is a poor little sod. His hippie parents don't let him watch TV and refuse to buy, a, buy one for him or the family since, you know, TV rots your brain. But they know he likes sci-fi, so they end up buying him a telescope so he can do something else after homework, besides wank off. Or wank off while using the telescope. Who knows? You know, good might look out. Stanley is positive he sees UFOs every night when he's using his telescope. He knows most of the things he sees are just satellites and other things. But he's positive he's seeing UFOs though. His parents say they're probably planes or birds. His older sister says he's just, he just wants attention. And his little brother calls him a geek. Even though his little brother is a fucking loser who has a giant ball of aluminum foil. But, you know, Stanley's the geek. <laughs> He's in tell. He even tells the authorities and his best friends. But no one believes him. But then, on July 12th, everything changed. You know, when is this episode coming out? This is coming out in, like, June, ain't it? So, nah, I should have waited till July 12th for this one. Mm, sorry, I don't feel like it. It was, it was a, it's a hot and muggy night. Stanley just couldn't sleep. He got up to get some carrot juice. Bad hippie joke. Woo, woo, woo. I mean, seriously, guys. Carrot juice is the tits. I would kill for some carrot juice right now. I like carrot juice. But suddenly, a bolt of lightning comes from the sky. And it's very, very fright. And it begins. It begins. It, be, it begins. It starts to pour rain from the heavens. But another flash comes into view. This time, it's not lightning. It's a flying fucking saucer. Stanley races to his tel telescope upstairs. And soon finds it hovering over mean old Farmer Tribble's place. <laughs> Fucking Farmer Tribble. I like that he put a Star Trek reference in there. That, that's nice. But Mr. Tribble has a reputation. Uh, but Mr. Tribble has a bad reputation of scaring people away with a pitchfork and threatening to scare them, you know? Like it's the fucking 1800s. So Stanley bravely heads over to the farm and finds that the cornfield has a crop circle. And a Mr. Tribble! Mr. Tribble, with glittery and angry eyes, says there was no UFO. 
and he takes his pitchfork and scares away the poor dumb Stanley. The next morning, Stanley tells his family what he saw, but they all ignore him. He then tells his friends, who don't believe him. So he says, fuck it, I'll take some goddamn pictures for some proof, it. The next night, he sees the UFO over the cornfield. And sneaks out again. He sees Mr. Tribble's TV is on and hopes that it distracts him. And then he sees the aliens. And I I'm just going to take a second. I'm going to read the description of those aliens from this book. Because you know what? S Mr. Stein paints a pretty good picture. <clears throat> they didn't look like anything else I'd ever seen. Except in nightmares. Their skin was a mucus green color. They had giant mushin heads with big glittery eyes. They had tentacles all over their heads where their hair should be. They walked on six legs. Two arms grew out of their backs. And instead of hands, they had giant claws. That paints a pretty good picture for me. And if I could draw, I would draw them. I, I have no, I have no, no, no artistic talents. I, I'm a, I'm a complete loser. I love the arts, but I can't do that. <laughs> Or be yawning and crying. But you know the fun thing is? <laughs> they know how to speak English because we humans have been setting our satellites up into the sky and sending out TV messages to them. So the aliens know English. So yeah, at least little buddy can know what they're saying. <laughs> Fucking plot convenience. And they reveal their master plan. It has been happening for 10 years now. And they're using TV signals to weaken the stupid little human minds. Does this sound like an Invader Zim plot to anyone else? Like, legit, this this sounds like an Invader Zim plot, right? Uh, oh, and you know what? They're gonna send out their final message during prime time to finish them off. Yeah, I, I'm just gonna say, this sounds like an Invader, Invader Zim fucking, fucking plot. And I just told myself to read the top. So this is, this is what I have to say. All these years, TV really had been waiting in the human race. Just as my parents said. Maybe the no TV rule had been a good idea after all. Thanks, hippie parents. You done good. I lost my spot in my notes. Fuck, I need to print these out next time. So soon. He then starts taking pictures, which shaking hands, and gets about five before he's done. But to his dismay, his, his nose starts to inch. I mean, he's, he's in a fucking a cornfield or whatever. And he just lets out the fucking biggest knees, revealing his location to the aliens. And he gets caught and anally probed. <laughs> Stanley is strapped to a table and is forced to watch three hours of Star Trekkers and fakes being hypnotized, and he doesn't feel any real effects. Since his parents never let him watch TV, he's thankful for that, eh? So he runs back home and tells his parents, but they say it was a bad dream, and he proclaims, You gotta believe me! He then remembers the camera, but realizes it's not around his neck as he once thought. So again, he tells his best friends and the beliefs, and the police, and they laugh him out of there. So he hatches a plan to save the Earth by making a mirror to counter the satellite TV. A mirror made of tinfoil. Because, you know, he's alien bots always need tinfoil. <laughs> so he borrows some money from his friends and buys $139 worth of tinfoil. And rushes home and makes a mirror the size of two dining room tables. He then hides it in the woods so no one can find it. And then he goes back to his house and steals his, and steals his little brother's tinfoil ball and makes his mirror even larger. Soon the time comes and Stanley climbs a huge maple tree with his mirror and holds it up. And soon a blue light reflects off the satellite dish 
and the ref- and it reflects back at the aliens. Soon, light disappears, and the aliens return to the heaven. And Stanley has saved the day, but who will ever believe him? Then, one night later, a couple nights later, the aliens return. You believe me? You believe me that the aliens have returned, right? 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 Um, I'm just gonna say it up front. R.L. Stein totally ripped off the movie Invaders from Mars. And he just wanted to take TV down a peg. And say it makes you dumb, which is, you know, I won't lie. I'm not a big fan of TV, and I kind of agree with him on that. I'm really not a big fan of the story of, like, no one believes the protagonist even though he's telling the truth. And everyone's like, he's just a crackpot. It's always been one of those kind of storyline. The the gaslight, is that what it is? Is it gaslighting? I I, I can't remember what gaslighting is because I'm fucking drunk. But I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of this one. If I had to give it out of a score out of five, I think I'd have to give it a three. I love Lucy reruns out of five because yeah, I kind of like the kid on this one, and I kind of like the creativity of like having the tin foil and shit. I just don't like the stories type. It's it's not one of my favorite type genres of stories of like you gotta believe me. Even the birds agree with me. They kind of sound like they said you gotta believe me. Tweet tweet tweet. So, the last one is Suckers. The last story I'm reviewing for today. And when I hear Suckers, I think it's going to be about, like, a, a fucking octopus or a squid or something, right? I mean, they've got Suckers on there. You know, little, little, little Suckers on them. Loop, 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 loop. Uh, but let us reveal what it is. The story begins with our first lead girl! Who's also 13 instead of 12. So this one kind of takes it in a different direction right there. So that kind of, that's, that's a good one right there. Uh, but she's being tormented by two townies as they hold a jellyfish over her head. Her little brother Jack and cousin Greg, you know, can't seem to get along with these two assholes who live in this town. Who just hate people who come and visit during, you know, summertime. How they make their money. Oh, yeah. Mm. Just hate these, gotta hate these, you know, these tourists, even though they're just trying to have a good time and it looks like they're just buying stuff and giving our economy a good boom. But we're kids and we don't understand this shit. But soon they push over Greg and steal his gummy worms and leave them where they are. Soon they see something by Bowen's cave. And it's a chest. Looks to be a treasure chest of some sort. They crack it open and soon a green blobby monster that clings onto ash. And it's with its cold and slimy body that streaks of dead fish. She tries to pry it off, but it has its suckers attached to her leg. And it slowly moves up, leaving a burning, itchy trail. All while her, her cousin and brother just watch in fear. And then the boys snap out of the trance and try to get the creature off. <laughs> try to get the creature off, eh? And it soon releases the sucker. And it smells something on Greg. It reaches into his shirt pocket and takes out a gummy worm and eats it. Greg grabs the rest out of the few remaining gummy worms that are inside his shirt pocket. And the creature clings to his hand and arm and devours the morsels. Ash is relieved by this, but Greg is freaking out now because it's attached to him. And it's growing. He says he has has more candy in the cottage. They And they rush over but find the door locked. <laughs> but they find the key under the doormat. <laughs> They charge in and head to Greg's room, but find only empty bags, so they decide they must go to the store to buy more. So they hop onto their bikes and head to the store and get as many bags of worm as bags of gummy worms they can and rush back using a shortcut that Ash doesn't know of, but Jack insists is quicker. Along the way, Jack's gear chain on his bike slips 
and he has to stop and fix it, leaving Ash to go alone. But she ends up getting lost and ambushed by the bullies Alex and Jimmy, who go ahead and jack them gummy worms from her. Gummy worms. Then, pedaling like a madman, Jack appears and jump kicks the bullies with his karate skills. And they both escape and get back to poor Greg. Greg is being squashed under the ever-growing blob, just being smashed. And it's just being like, help me, help me. And the two kids proceed to make a trail of gummy worms back to its treasure chest home. They rush over and push the giant glob back into the sm- back into its chest and smash the lid down on it. Then the boys notice a bag of gummies hanging out and get ex- and they and they get excited about it, but not before the bullies see them and then charge at them. But before they get too far, the bullies are distracted by a bag of gummies. And the story ends with the three protagonists watching as the bullies get ready to open the chest and grab those gummies. I actually really like this one, even though I kind of like, I kind of pushed, I mean, this one has like probably the least things to make fun of because I actually really liked it. Uh, I like the concept of these kids finding a weird chest on the beach and there being a monster inside. I like the idea that it likes gummy worms and is growing from these gummy worms. I like how they end up beating the the fucking bullies at the end. I think that's a really clever thing, you know? Being like, there's more gummy worms in there if you want them. Go ahead and open it up, bitch. Stuff like that. I think it's, it's got some good stuff in there. I, I I actually really like this story, like, overall. I think this might be the first one I have to say is five. I, I give this one five gummy boys out of five. It's just the best story of the bunch that I've read. Will they get better? Will they get worse? I don't know. I haven't read them yet. I, I finished my notes yesterday, and I will... Have the next episode up next week, and we'll probably have them read before this episode's even up by then, I'm hoping. Because I want to finish reading Sojourn by uh, the, the third book in the Dritz trilogy. <laughs> so thanks for listening this this week on Drunken Book Club. Uh, you may have noticed I got closer because I stopped being lazy. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Or t- you can follow us at sow underscore podcast on twitter follow us on facebook at speaking of which podcast and of course you should be if you're listening to us on anything that requires you to follow us follow us it means a lot if you can leave a review that's five stars or or maybe four or whatever good just leave us a good review it really helps us in the end and of course you can follow me at the underscore rupal on twitter but i recommend following me at sow underscore podcast because where i usually tweet from now um you can follow of course my other host uh, at Berserker Rose for Sam on Twitter and Instagram. At Force Lefter on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for Weiss. And of course, follow the my homeboy at Voice of J Rod on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and go to his website, jrovio.com. Uh, I'll see you guys next week because this is going to be a one after another episode. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna leave you guys hanging on Drunk Who Book Club Volume Nine Point Five coming out tomorrow. No, next week. Damn it, I spilled water all over myself. Fuck! You gotta believe me! You gotta believe me!